0: Join Hanson Scottie Wednesday from noon to 3 as Andrew Reinhart from Wasatch Medical will be live in studio discussing FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for ED with no pills, surgery, or needles. Time to talk college football with Matt Brown from SB Nation, and he's got the newsletter Extra Points out as well. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Matt, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, we are very curious about this. There has been a ton of hype for the Utes. We're all expecting them to be picked first in the South. We're seeing preseason stuff from national riders, not local homers who know a big season makes our lives better and easier, which it does. (laughs) But from national riders who really don't seem to have any skin in the game, ranking them 8th, 12th, 13th, are the Utes really one of the top 15 teams in the country?
1: Uh, you know,
0: probably I, I think. Yeah, you know, I was I was just looking at this. It, it's been a while
1: since there's been this much preseason hype around the team, and I think part of that is a function of what's happening right now with the rest of the conference. I mean, you kind of know what kind of football you're getting with Utah, and and really to, to their credit, you know, for for a team that that isn't loaded with the same level of like blue chip recruits that like an Oregon or Washington or USC is, they've managed to keep their program floor. So high, and so you know, this this year they're coming in, and this is the perfect opportunity. I think the gap between them and everybody else in their division is really significant, and that's just going to lead to a lot of wins. Um, Their their conference schedule and their out of conference schedule line up pretty well. Uh, There's some reason for optimism that their offense could take another little another little step forward. Um, I I don't know if I I definitely think they're the overwhelming Pac-12 South favorite. And if you wanted to tell me they, you know, they should be ranked anywhere from 7 to 14, I wouldn't argue with you. Like there, there's, there's, The hype around the program right now, I think, is
0: justified. So I guess the big red flag that's out there, there's probably a couple of them. But one is the health of the quarterback, Tyler Huntley. He's been yeah. hurt both years. I think you can count on him to play about nine games. I don't know that you can count on him to play more than that. And so with these missed games, then it's like, what are you doing with the – Backup, your backup's a sophomore, you only got to play last year, and he beat the bad teams and you can even argue the mediocre teams, but against the best teams, you know as a freshman he wasn't good enough. Does that worry you or is that literally everybody's worried about their backup quarterback so it doesn't matter? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like everybody is getting is much more worried about their backup quarterback than maybe they were a couple of
1: years ago because it's become so much harder. To really build and maintain depth at that position, because if you're recruiting really good quarterbacks and you can only play one of them, it's easier for them to transfer. I never before. I mean, that's that's kind of been the story uh, throughout most teams in this league that have been able to bring in multiple good guys. Now Utah lost a, a potentially really good quarterback to to Indiana. Washington starting a transfer. I feel like man, at least a third of the conference either lost one or gained one. So the the thing that I like about Utah. Uh, I mean, like you're, you're right. That is a, a cause for some concern. But when you have, uh, one, an offensive line that is so much bigger, like physically bigger, and in a conference where a lot, a lot of these teams are not starting defensive tackles or defensive ends that are the same size as you might see in the south or east, that, that provides such a physical mismatch. And we, you know the defense is going to be consistently good. It's going to be consistently disruptive and will pre- keep you from having to really play from behind. So, sure, I mean, is Utah probably going to have to win uh, a 17-13, just abominable game to watch uh, in conference this year? Uh, yes. Uh, but I think this is a team that's probably more equipped to win that kind of game than maybe Oregon is, certainly more than USC is or some other teams in this league.
0: There it is. You use the three magic letters, so I'm going to go right there now. USC, Utah and BYU both playing, both playing pretty early in the year, and USC has just six it just looks like six brutal games right out of the gate with Notre Dame early on the yeah. schedule, Fresno State in the opener. Stanford, the conference opener, is the second game. I think BYU's the third. They just keep coming. After six games, how many losses will SC have, and will we already be talking about Clay Hilton's job, or will he already be gone? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about Clay Hilton's
1: job now. We've been talking about Clay Hilton's job for, for two years, I think. You know, anything less than, than – and five wins in, in that beginning, even though you're right, the schedule is brutal, that conversation is going to continue. And, and for me, I feel like the, the biggest variable there isn't so much what happens with him on the field as it is what happens with USC off the field, because that entire university, including their athletic department, uh, is, is struggling for quality leadership at the moment. There's a lot of things going on. And I, I think the question is more about you know, can we can we get the right money? Are we going to trust our current athletic director to be the one to make this decision or make the next hire? What's going to go on at the presidential level? Um, I, I would be very surprised if he's still there at the end of this season because I don't really see how the the parts on this roster all kind of match up to what they want to do offensively, and the expectations are so high. But what you know, when exactly that hire that fire happens, you know, may not necessarily be just because of what happens on the football field.
0: How far away are Jim Mora and UCLA from having a good team and a good program? Because that was a big, splashy hire, but they're nowhere near where his Oregon teams were.
1: Man, I, I, I think they're pretty far. You know, one of the things that's really um, surprised me about you know Kelly coming coming back to UCLA here was, over the last season, they recruited like a Mountain West program. They, they were as selective with their scholarship offers as Stanford or almost like a service academy, with, with despite not being either of those things. And then what happened is the, the caliber of player that they were getting was nowhere near uh, what it has been over the last decade. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. The U, UCLA grabbed the top recruit in the country. You know, he since transferred away, and they were competitive uh, for the, you know, the top 20, top 30 kids in the state. And now they're, they're going after some guys. That are, you know, BYU caliber of recruits, Boise State caliber of recruits. And you know, that, that just kind of nullifies your entire advantage. If you can't recruit at a blue chip ratio level, if you're not bringing in as many four stars as you are three stars, then like, but what, what's, what's the whole point of UCLA? Like that's, that's the, the thing that you, your only real pathway to being a consistently strong program is to be able to out talent some of the teams in your division. And they're not doing that at all. One of the other things that, that made Kelly so successful at Oregon was that he was not just a, gr- a great schematic innovator, but was really one of the pioneers for you know, medical technology and data collection technology and some of these off-the-field things that have now become really standardized in college football, and that advantage isn't there anymore. So, I, I mean, I, I look at this team, and I think this team is probably going to lose to Cincinnati again. They're probably going to be better, but I'm not really seeing the pathway for them to become you know, a perennial, you know, nine win, you know, you know, compete for a division title kind of program. And I think that's what this administration is paying for. And that's what this fan base wants.
0: I'm going to assume that my Twitter mentions are blowing up right now with Utah and Utah State fans who want me to follow up on that comment. They're recruiting like a Mountain West school, like BYU, like Boise State. I'm not going to check my Twitter mentions. I'm just going to go with that. Okay. It's just my kind of gut instinct here. It's not not my first week in the Utah radio market. Oh no! What? I,
1: I I I get this every time I, I mention one yeah, yeah and program
0: in the state too. <laughs> yeah, okay, so what do you believe BYU has been recruiting like, and it is it equipped them to play Utah at home, at Tennessee, home to USC, and home to Washington in their first four games, and know full well they still have to go to South Florida and Utah State, sandwiched around a home game with Boise State.
1: No, it's it's not it's not nearly good enough, and I, I feel like this has been the the biggest difference between how I and maybe some of my colleagues view this program, and, and maybe how it's viewed a little bit locally. Because I think we can look at recruiting a little bit differently. Like obviously, recruiting at BYU is this completely different beast. You're going to have a you know a half to a third of your kids not show up for two years or take a break for a while, and obviously your your, your candidate pool is very limited. So you have to be really good at talent development, and that's all true. But when you line up against Tennessee or Arizona, or I mean, not Arizona, because not like, that's, that's a bad example, if you have ten, Tennessee, I mean, you, you know, USC, Tennessee, Washington, um, some of these big-name programs here, like, it doesn't matter what, you know, what, what your kid's ACT score was or whether they had to go on a mission or what their, you know, all these difficulties are. You have to go against kids who are projected to play in the NFL, and you don't have those guys. And if you don't have enough of those guys – then you either need to completely avoid injuries or you need to be running an offensive or defensive scheme that is specifically built to maximize um, or, to, or to minimize a talent advantage. You know, that's what BYU did really successfully in the 80s. Uh, that's what a lot of teams did in kind of the middle part of this decade with the air raid or what T, or even what, what Mendenhall did by, by trying to maximize tempo, you know, even to, to mix results. And I look at this BYU team, and I don't see them really doing anything like that. And they're going to be playing against more than half the teams on their schedule who have better players than they are. And they're going to win some of those games. But if you want to win more than seven, you need better players. And you know, I, my understanding was that part of the the excitement and the appeal of, of Kalani and this coaching administration was that they were going to elevate the talent level at the school. And I think you can recruit better than the mid-60s at BYU, and they're not doing it right now, and until they do – I think the ceiling of their program with this schedule is well.
0: Matt Brown joining us. SB Nation, Rice College Football, has a newsletter, Extra Points, keeping people up to date on what's going on. So Gary Anderson leaves Utah, goes back to Utah State. He had success there before he went on the world tour to Wisconsin, to uh, Oregon <laughs> State, and then back. Second acts. There's been a lot talked about, a lot written about locally looking at how coaches do when they go back a second time, what are your expectations for him in the Aggie program now that he's on his, uh, his second tour of duty? Yeah, it, it, it is
1: strange, right? Like my, my colleague, I guess,
0: former colleague uh, Bill Connolly wrote about this a lot
1: earlier this off season and kind of looked at all of the coaches that have come back and the track record historically isn't great. You, you typically aren't able to, excuse me, replicate the same level of success that you had before. And, you know, obviously they're all different situations, I was a little bit surprised that Utah State went in this direction. I think given you know, who, they, who they have returning, a, a great quarterback, you know, some really interesting defensive pieces, it would have been attractive for a bunch of different coaching candidates. Um, I look at this team and think that they should be pretty good this season. You know, a, probably a top 40 caliber team, you know, one, one of the three or four best teams in the Mountain West, and they're going to be fun to watch. You know, if, uh, I would encourage my, my colleagues here in, in uh, the central time zone or out east to you know, stay up once or twice to try to watch them. And the sustainability is difficult, but, I mean, I think that will be difficult no matter who the coach is because your, your budget is so much smaller Even than some of the other teams within that league, there's there's a reason that they weren't. This is a a school that didn't really sustain success for decades, you know, really until until Anderson came back in there. And so I always kind of assume that teams will eventually go back to their historical median after really good coaches. You know, this year should be great. My long-term expectations are more measured given you know what's happened before, but maybe you can prove me wrong.
0: San Diego State started fast finished slow, and they are playing both BYU at the end of the year and Utah State in a conference game. Uh, who are they really? Because that 6-1 and one start looked good, but they finished 7-5. and five. They lost, well, actually finished 7-6 when they lost a bowl game. They lost five of the last six games.
1: Yeah. I feel like they are probably one of the most
0: like nationally
1: unknown, consistently pretty good football programs because... Out where I am, and out where a lot of the people are that writing, like they're almost impossible to watch. Like they, they, they might be the team that that's the most the that's damaged the most by by East Coast bias, even though they've been like kind of perennially this top fifty team. I'm thinking about it, like man, I think I've only watched them like three or <laughs> three or four times recently. Like you, you know exactly what you're going to get. Like you're going to get a running back that's going to get like a bajillion carries. And uh, a, a quarter a passing gameplay that's not going to be especially explosive, but reasonably efficient. And and I think we've seen that kind of system become slightly less effective um, over the over the past couple of seasons. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to turn it around. Like the the thing that they benefit from, I think, is that the schedule's not terribly difficult. You know, uh, they might actually be able to, to beat UCLA on the road. I think that that's probably kind of a, a toss up game here. And I'm not sure. Um, if there's too many with in-conference play that are going to be insurmountable, so you're probably looking at a team that's going to win at least another seven or eight games. But if you're – I don't know what about this team on paper that screams that they're going to be enormously better than the last three or four.
0: Is Urban Meyer done coaching, or if something were to blow up at USC, would he come riding in on, oh, I don't know, a white horse, just to call in a <laughs> You know, I – this, this is something that, you know, maybe
1: you play back in two years, and I'm going to look really stupid. But I, 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 honest, I honestly honest I think he's done. And I, I think a lot of the national voices that have kind of tied him to USC maybe um, are forgetting a couple of things that made his success at Ohio State possible, right? Like, I, the, I, I know that people, like to you know, say that the health concerns were really – you know, imagine, and I, I'm somebody that's that followed him at Ohio State pretty closely, and he talked to a lot of people very close to that program, and he, he was 100% actually sick. Um, part of the way that the reason that things were able to, to work at, at in Columbus, really as long as they were, is because he had a pretty strong uh, infrastructure support system. The guy's from Ohio, and he, he cares a lot about that school. He's working at the school right now. He's, he's doing a bunch of leadership things throughout the campus that, that kind of helped somewhat mitigate the worst parts about Urban Meyer? And clearly, not enough because you know things fall apart there at the end. And the only other job that I can imagine that would be able to provide that for him would be Notre Dame. You know, if Brian Kelly goes to coach the Giants in a year or two. Like, absolutely, I, I think I think he could he could take a look at that. But then, if I look at USC, which is far away from all those support structures, far away from places where mostly from places where he recruited, you know, substantially for the, out of the last decade. Um, at a place where their media attention is really high and the local support and the local leadership are very low, I don't I don't really see that as a, as a very good fit. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Notre Dame, but, but I would imagine other coaches would jump at that job and be more successful and be more likely than he would.
0: I'm interested to hear you say Notre Dame because I've always thought, based on the outs at his uh, in his Utah contract, Notre Dame, yeah. Ohio State, Michigan. That, uh, and I mean, based on his name, Urban. I mean, the guy's named after a pope, right? He, and yeah, based yeah, he's, he's on. the a very no- religious guy. Right. And based on Notre Dame's place in the hierarchy of football, that somehow he was going to wind his way to Notre Dame. Now, maybe not, because that was a messy end at Ohio State after a messy end at Florida. And Notre Dame may decide we yeah. don't need that kind of mess, and maybe his health is that bad. But it's interesting you still threw it out there. All right, last thing before we let you go Matt Brown, SB Nation College Football. Uh, America is bored by Alabama and Clemson. Uh, They may legitimately be the best. It doesn't matter. We're simply, we're bored by them. And in America, this is a whole separate rant, but I believe that boring people is actually the worst thing you can do. All kinds of people have committed all kinds of crimes. They've apologized. They've been rehabilitated. But you bore people, and we will not forgive you. Pete Sampras and Tim Duncan, all they did was win. Never caused, not even an ounce of trouble. Man, they were boring, and that really irritated people. Are we going to be bored by this much longer? Are these two, are these two schools, are these two coaches going to keep this thing humming along? Uh,
1: probably. I mean, like, I, I I agree with you, right? And I think that was honestly the biggest cardinal sin about Alabama, because really, until like last year, was the first time that they really had a, a truly exciting offense. Their coach is not especially likable. Um, they had individual players, I think, that were likable, but they they were not the same kind of entertaining juggernaut that like '95 Nebraska was, or the or the Steve Spurrier Gators, or, or even some of the you know the USC when they were you know just clubbing people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Clemson, I think, is more entertaining, and it, it, it's unfortunate because this year I, I think there's some real vulnerabilities with this defense. I mean, when you graduate. Um, basically an NFL caliber defensive line, and they all leave. Even if you're replacing them with five-star guys, there's almost always going to be some level of a step back. But they return almost everybody important on their offense, and uh, everyone else in the ACC sucks. Um, it's, it's unfortunate for America that kind of most of the rest of that conference took a step back right as they were hitting their juggernaut phase. So it's difficult to see where our loss is. They're probably the single best playoff bet um, there's some question marks at Ohio State and at Michigan and at Oklahoma and at Texas and at Georgia. And other than that, it's hard for me to even see a playoff-caliber team. So, like, if you tell me, are you going to take Clemson versus the field? Like, I'm always going to take the field, and there's plenty of teams in college football this year that are interesting and exciting and are worth your emotional investment. Would I assume both Clemson and Alabama are in the playoff again this year?
0: Yeah. He's Matt Brown. He writes college football for SB Nation. He's got his Extra Points newsletter to keep you up to date on everything you need to know. Matt, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, no problem. Have a great day, y'all.